0: we are now in the book of Judges. I just wanted to point out a couple of things, you know, and one just beginning with the fact that the Bible is always honest about the failings and the weaknesses of the individuals that it's describing, and Judges is really no exception. The characters that are in this book, you know, they actually show to us, they reveal a number of flaws. Gideon was fearful, you know, he didn't think that he was the warrior that God was telling him that he was. He was constantly asking the Lord for signs. And we see, actually, there's nothing wrong with asking the Lord for a sign for you. Just really what he was asking was, frankly, just so that he could know it was God talking to him. That That's okay. And so we see that. But also, Japheth, the son of or he was the son of a prostitute, um, and he actually made reckless vows. Samson, we see he treated his wife really poorly. He slept with a prostitute. He took a mistress. So they weren't strong characters, and they weren't what we would look at and think these are holy people, but God used them. And so we see in Judges how these less than perfect people managed to achieve so much because God was with them. It was not through their own power. It was because the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's key. And so Judges gives us, you know, a vivid example of divine strength working through weak people, and that should be encouraging for us all. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Jed.
1: Hey everybody. Great to be with you all tonight. So, yeah, great setup on, on the book of Judges, Krista. And so we're actually finishing the book of Joshua this, this week between where we finished up last week and where we're going this week. We finished one book and then head into uncharted territory with judges. So just a couple of thoughts on Joshua before we end um, the chapters that we read. The, the land is being handed out to the tribes. They're starting to move into their inheritance, taking the land. Uh, it also includes the final instructions of Joshua. And so really you have a, a great leader. Um, Moses was a great leader and the people followed Moses and then the people followed Joshua. And Caleb Caleb is another awesome leader, and he's in there a few times uh, and then this sets up really what I think the Lord wants to say to us through the book of judges is what happens to humans when we don't have good leaders and of course, Jesus is the best leader that we can have and so this book speaks to us even today about you know how we all like sheep have gone astray and what happens when we insist on our own way and we abandon the Word of God and we abandon the ways of God, you know usually bad things follow. So, uh, but Joshua wraps things up and I love what he says in Joshua 24, restates what Moses said, you know, choose today who you're going to follow. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so he, he kind of throws it down and the, and the people double down and say, we're going to do it. We're going to follow the Lord. And so Joshua ends really, really well. And then we head into Judges where this pivot happens. So you have all these judges that God's going to raise up over the course of this whole book. And what's important for us to remember is that there's this cycle that uh, repeats itself over and over again through the book of Judges. And it is that the the people are in a relationship with God and then they give into idolatry and they start to fall away. And as they fall away, this leads to oppression by their enemies. Their enemies come in uh, and God allows periods of, Uh, these tyrannical leaders to uh, oppress the people of Israel. The people of Israel then cry out to God for help. Uh, They repent. God raises up a deliverer. And then God, through that deliverer, restores them back into a relationship with himself. And peace is restored. And so you have this cycle that repeats over and over and over again in this book. And so as we go through this, I think this is one of the meta themes uh, of the scriptures that we were talking about is apart from God, we can do nothing. You know, Jesus talks about that. We're, we're, we're designed to be in relationship with God. He's the creator, we're the created. And we're designed to be in relationship with him, bring glory to his name. But sin is at work in our members. And the sin, if we go back into the Garden of Eden, was self-rule. Uh, you know, when God set up the, the, tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, he gave mankind a choice. And really what Satan says is, if you do this, you will be like God. That's the deception in the human heart is really self-rule, that we don't want to be in relationship with God because he's the authority. We want to be our own authority. We want to call the shots. We want to do things our own way. Um, Whether we're worshiping a false idol or whether we're just worshiping ourselves, this is the waywardness of sin at work in, in humanity. And the book of Judges is a great book to highlight that principle. That the people of Israel coming off the heels of Moses and Joshua, they're moving into their inheritance. They're taking ground, and suddenly they're giving they're giving into worshiping the idols that they were told not to worship, and they fall into this pattern. And so this cycle is going to repeat itself. You know, there's some amazing highs that come in this story, and we can talk about it during the question uh, session. I didn't want to go into specific stories because I want to hear what you guys thought about Gideon and. We're in the in the story of Samson right now, up through uh, today's reading. But um I love to hear some of your thoughts and takes takeaways from these different leaders that God raises up. And to Krista's point, these are all flawed vessels. These are examples of, in some, in some respects, amazing men and women of God, but not perfect. And it doesn't last. You know, they may deliver for a season, but the but sin has its has its day again, and, and the people of Israel go into rebellion again. And so What was really in my heart as we were looking at the book of Judges, from an overview perspective, there's two times in the book that this verse is repeated. It's found in chapter 17, verse 6, and in chapter 21, verse 25. In fact, that is the last verse in the entire book of Judges, and I think it sums up exactly why this book is in the Bible. And it says, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So that sums up what happens to humanity when we don't have good leaders leadership in our lives we left to our own devices and we seek our own way and this leads to oppression this leads to uh, sorrow tragedy we cry out again to the lord he's got to come in and rescue us and it points us to our daily need give us today our daily bread we don't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god yesterday's manna is, is moldy today. I need a fresh word today from the living God in order to connect with him uh, and abide in the vine. You know, Jesus is teaching us, abide in me. You know, we need the good shepherd. Uh, and so I think the book of Judges is all about uh, what happens to us when we go our own way and we abandon God and the pattern that can eru- erupt in, even in our own lives, uh, should we stray from him is uh, one of brokenness, one of pain, one of oppression. But then God steps in and rescues us as his people. Um, And his his jealous love is always pursuing us. Uh, He says of himself, he says, if you remain, if you're unfaithful to me, I will remain faithful to you because I cannot deny myself. And so the covenantal faithfulness of God to pursue his people, even when we have broken covenant, even when we've been unfaithful, and we just see the compassion of God when he hears his people cry out. At one point in the book of Judges, he's like, look, go. Why don't you cry out to the gods that you've been worshiping? Let them save you. I'm done. I don't want to save you anymore. I'm tired. You've, you've gone your own way. Cry out to the gods you've been worshiping. Maybe, the, maybe they'll save you this time. And of course, you know, the Lord redeems and steps in and, and protects his people because it's his character. Everything that God does is based in his character, his mercy and his judgment. He doesn't suspend his mercy when he acts in, in, in justice, and he doesn't uh, suspend his justice when he displays his mercy. God is perfect in all of his ways, and as he interacts with us as his people, I think the book of Judges gives us great hope that even when we get in a mess, God loves us, and we can count on his covenantal faithfulness as we cry out and say, Lord, help me. Help me out. And I love what Krista said about these flawed uh, human beings, you know, Gideon and Samson, Um, amazing stories and uh, how God will work through broken vessels. None of us have it all together. Um, And yet God in his, he's got a plan for our lives. Now I was thinking about Samson, you know, it's such an amazing story about this man who's got a mighty calling and God uh, he, it's almost a prefiguration of of the calling of Jesus. You know, this amazing uh, angelic visitation, He's he's prophesied his birth, who he is in the womb. God's God wants to use Samson in an amazing way, and uh, Ephesians two ten says that we're Christ's workmanship, and that there were good deeds predestined for us to walk in before the foundations of the world. And so, you know, God is thinking about us when He's knitting us together in our mother's womb. And here's Samson. You know, God loves this man. He's got a mighty calling on his life, specific instructions on what his parents are to do, um, and yet. Samson's uh, a flawed character, a mixed bag, a man ruled by his appetites and emotions. And we can learn from his story some good things and some some not so great things. So Judges is like an action movie and a parable and a a cautionary tale all rolled up into one. Um, So I love this book. And really, I want to ask a few questions to you guys and get, get us going in our conversation. What does the book of Judges teach us about God? As you guys have been reading this book, I'm interested to hear, as everybody is, uh, just what what is this book telling us about who God is and his character? Whoever would like to jump in, just unmute yourself and go for it.
0: So while everyone's thinking about it, um, I have something that's come to mind. Um, just the fact that God will use our free will and our decisions uh, for his purposes, regardless of what they are. He will turn things for his purposes, especially for those who have been called by God, because we know that Samson, it tells us, you know, he was a Nazarite from the womb, but yet he did all of these bad things. And it even tells us, you know, in um, the first couple verses that it was actually God who was going to use the opportunity that Samson was going to he, he was interested in a Philistine woman. Well, that was a violation of the Mosaic law because he's as a Nazarite and just as an Israelite, they were not supposed to intermarry. And that has nothing to do with race that had to do with the wickedness of the people. It just had to do with, you know, God was saying um, he wanted to drive the wickedness out of the land. He was worried about his people not being influenced by the others. Anyway, he wasn't supposed to intermarry. And he he had his heart set on a Philistine woman. And it says that he just decided he wanted to marry her. And his parents, they were against it. They wanted him to marry within Israel. But he said, no. No. And and even talked harshly to his parents. And he said, go get me this woman. You know, this is the woman that he wanted. She had caught his eye. It says he wanted to marry her. And, um, you know, that in itself, God allowed it. And it says to us after those scriptures that God was going to use this as an opportunity to come against the Philistines. So even though it was a wrong thing, because it was violating the laws of God, We see that God was allowing Samson, even though he was anointed by God, to still have free will. He wasn't just, you know, just because you're anointed by the Lord doesn't mean you lose your own will to do what you want. And Samson continued to choose to do what he wants. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. And time after time, we see that God, you know, uh, would the consequences would come. And eventually, you know, we see Samson... Um, finally comes to the place where he turns to God at the very end, and God gives him a victory at the end of his life that was greater than anything that had ever happened in in his whole life. But the reality is it was a struggle the whole time with Samson, even though he was anointed from the beginning. It's really interesting, you know, to look at it, that he was anointed from the beginning. God had called him Nazarite from the womb. God intended for this man to be someone that was basically going to to fight for Israel um, on his behalf but it's just an interesting way that it all that it all came about. It's not in the ways we we might've thought and really it has to do with our own free will. What I see in that, that God will still, you know, because he knows the beginning from the end. We see it in the scripture that he wrote about what Samson was going to do and that God was gonna allow this opportunity to do something he wanted to do, which was to come against the Philistines by using Samson. Nonetheless, I'm just trying to say that we have free will regardless of where we are in our walk. And I think that's the reason that Paul said, the Apostle Paul, he said, I beat my body into submission, you know, to this word. I have to, because he knew he had free will. He's like, my flesh wants to do something else, but I've got to make it do what God has called me to do. So it's a choice that we have in the midst of it. But we also see the sovereignty of God because even though he will allow us to do these, whatever it is we want to do, his purposes will stand and this is where Romans eight twenty eight comes in that says he'll turn all things for good um, and for his glory to those who love him. Now, that promise was for those to, who love him, but he's still going to use all things for his purposes. He just is. You know, he's the potter and we're the clay. And so long story short, I just see God's sovereignty in that. And he'll use us regardless of what stage of the game that we're at.
1: I look what you're saying, Krista. It makes me think, too, you know, the, the judge that had the longest period of peace after they delivered Israel was Ehud. He had 80 years after he, he delivered Israel. There was a period of peace. And, you know, this is the story, you might as well remember, Ehud is the left-handed man, straps a, a dagger on his right thigh, sneaks in to meet with, I believe, the guy's name. He's a, from Moab, Eglon, and uh, ba- basically assassinates him. Um, and we don't think of uh, God as condoning assassination or anything like that. But here's a story where this is, this is the way that God chose to, to work through his, this vessel in this particular instance um, in order to kind of start the ball rolling to get Israel out from under the oppressor, oppression of Eglon and his people. Um, and so he's outside the box. You can't really put God in a box. There is no box. Um, we have to realize that God is sovereign to your point, Krista. He's going to use what he's going to use. And he will, at one point, even we'll read it later as we go through uh, the Old Testament, he puts lying spirits in the mouths of prophets in order to deceive Israel. God did that. That's not an easy thing to say. I think Sylvia was talking about challenging. Sometimes there's these things that will challenge us in the Bible. Wait a minute. God put deceiving spirits in the mouths of the prophets to deceive Israel? God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Well, you know, how do we cope with some of the reality of God's sovereignty? We need to wrestle a little bit. It's okay to wrestle.
0: I think that that is such a challenging thought. But yet I think where we can can land in that is going back to all these examples, knowing that God is who he says he is. And in the fact that how is he just, how is he a just God? and a loving God? How is he merciful? How is he a just God though? If, in the example of what you're giving, and I, you know, it's ultimately because he only hardens a heart that he already knows is going to harden itself. You know what I mean? Because he knows the beginning from the end. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, that's the example that we've seen. So it's not like he, God is not wicked and God is not evil. There's no evil in him. It says he is mm-hmm. light. He is pure. He is holy. There's nothing shifting about God. You know, he's, he is righteous. He is right in all his ways. But if he does something like that, that causes us to ponder because his ways are not our ways his Mm -hmm. thoughts are Mm -hmm. not our thoughts they're so much higher than ours that's what he says and you know just we have to know and understand that he is god we are not there's much we don't actually understand and know about all that is going on the bible tells us today we see dimly we only see in part we don't even though we have revelation as we read the scripture there's still so much more we're going to understand in the fullness when we're in eternity but we don't have it all just yet but, he, but yet what we do have is the truth of who God has told us he is, that we need to accept by faith and know that if he has done something like that, and he is just, there's things that we just need to, to, you know, understand and recognize through the other examples that we're given. Like when we look at Pharaoh, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. How many times was it? Was it five or six? Something like that. Five or six times. And then it says after that, God hardened his heart. And then it talks about in the New Testament that that in the last days, which I believe we're in now, it says that the Lord will turn people over to believe a lie because they refused to love the truth. So he tells us why he's doing it. It's the same reason, because they're refusing the word of God. They're refusing to believe the truth of his word. And so because they just refuse it, they just choose that they want to believe. And it might even be an instance of, like they believe in the God of their imagination. They, they have been told about what they think, who they think God is, but it isn't backed up with scripture, you know? And so they've gotten a perception of God that's not right. And then if they're shown scripture, maybe they say, well, that doesn't make sense with what my pastor told me. So I'm, I'm that can't be right. But you know what? The word of God is the authenticating
2: truth. Amen. Well, seeing how we're at the table, and I'm going to ask you, sister, can you just pass the bread, you know, because I want to get in on the bread. (laughs) Praise be unto God. Amen. Glory be unto God. And I know that, you know, just to chime in, having you pass the bread from Jed to you and now to me, I'm going to receive it and go ahead and bring forth. And I would say that absolutely positively, what we have to understand is this. He is the Lord. And wherever you are, silent or spoken out loud, say it again to yourself, he is the Lord. And because he is the Lord, we don't understand everything. We don't know everything. I don't see what he sees. I don't understand what he understands. I am not giving the full picture only a part. So we have to caution ourselves. It's always okay to ponder and even ask the question. But, Always keep in mind that he is the Lord. You are not. I am not. And there are certain things that he simply don't tell us why. None of your business. Amen. It simply means for you to accept that he is God. You know, heaven existed. I'm going to give you an example. Genesis, heaven existed before the earth. But God, throughout scripture, doesn't tell us all about how he went about creating the heaven, the earth, the angels. We know it was done. Why? None of your business. He wants you to seek those things out as you're seeking him. And don't get it twisted. He is the Lord. He is God. We are not going to understand everything. And if we try to, then we, we began, as Crystal said, she alluded to it. There's another gospel that has made him equal to man. He has never been, he will never be. So I'm not ever going to be able to be on the same level with God. And I know there are folks that have PhDs and three HDs and four HDs. But for those of us that are normal, our little brain can't handle all of that. And so therefore God chooses based on what I can receive at that time and then he reveals it. That's why it's so good to read the word because you can read it a hundred thousand times if you live that long and always get fresh revelation because he reveals according to what we're able to handle and to receive at that time. But I believe that one of the key things in my ability to receive is to always remember you are God. I have not, I am not going to try to understand and comprehend, because when we start doing that, we can read scripture and say, that is not fair. That is not right. How could God cause them to wipe out all these people? And why would he do, da-da-da-da? because you don't know everything. I don't know everything, but he does. And he does everything well, and it is right in his eyes. There is no evil in God. There is no gall in God. He has never made a mistake, and he's not going to start now. And then the other thing is, we should be in absolute amazement. Why? Because we can see how flawed all of these judges were. Amen. But he chose them anyway. And that gives us the hope to know. Because it's thought I- I'm going to hurt your feelings, but it'll be okay. All of us are flawed. Everybody got some stuff. We got some issue. But praise be to God, he chooses to use us anyway. Never chose a human being other than Adam and Eve because they were as perfect as perfect could get till they ate that fruit. Glory be unto God. But God already knew before they ate it, they were going to eat it. Praise be unto God. And he made them anyway. Here's the point. He already knew everything that you and I were going to do. He made us anyway. He gives us another opportunity. He does not choose based on our perfection but that we are perfected in him and god is the one that brings us to that reality of i cannot yes lord i got issues i got challenges but praise be unto you lord god in you you can accomplish all you set to accomplish in the first place going back to my final comment what do we see when we read the judges he is the lord he is the Lord, and He can use anyone, anything, and make them look good for a season. Amen. And how long that season lasts is their ability to depend, to rely, and surrender unto God. God knows what He's doing, but He loved us and He made us anyway. Amen. I'm done.
1: Drop the mic. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, it's also great point to interject you know we read the book of job and we got to bring the revelation we got from that book into understanding other books as we go forward and, and the main that's the main point of job is what you just said sylvia he's the lord and, and we're not and there's things that are happening that we don't understand and you know when we start to question god be careful because he can just show up and start to question us just like he did job where were you when I spread the heavens out and I expanded, and were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I put the snow in the barns? And of course, none of us were. Paul says this in Romans 9, we're just the clay and he's the potter. How can the clay ask the potter, you know, the clay, the clay can't argue with the potter. And so as we read these stories, to your point, Sylvia, it is, you know, the, the first step to understanding God is humility and saying, we don't know. Lord, help me understand. Mm -hmm. I I don't see, help me see, give me salve. I I, I don't have, give me something of value. And I think that gets us going on the right course. But I'd love to hear other thoughts from folks. What stories stood out to you? We've got so many good ones. We've already talked about Ehud. uh, There's Gideon, there's Deborah, Jephthah. We've got Samson, obviously. I'm just curious if, if any stories have been highlighted to you guys in your journey through the book of Judges to this point. We'd love to hear any thoughts out there.
3: Amen. If there is any scripture uh, that can remind me who I am in God is, is uh, Gideon. Um, <laughs> uh, how infinitely small I am compared to who God is. and What God can do through me is the book of Gideon. Because I remember he had a very, very strong uh, uh, challenge uh, when God approached him and told him to go defeat the Midianites. The first thing he looked at was the size of his people. And immediately he complained to say uh, uh, that, uh, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So God made it a point to go not only to the weakest uh, a clan, but the weakest family of the weakest clan <laughs> to pick someone that will defeat God's enemies, uh, God, um, um, uh, uh, God's people, Uh the enemies of God's people, you know, so um, that that alone just tells me that uh, whenever uh, I I may be facing any challenges, the the first person, the last person I should look is is myself, because uh, in and of myself, there is no battle I can win. Uh, um, When when I feel the weakest of the weakest, uh, the only person I can rely on is God. He's the one that wins all the battles, and I am just you know, uh, the the, the, pot, the clay. Um, so if I would just let myself to be molded by him, uh, he could use me for great things. And um, personally, I believe that I'm in a season of uh, where maybe I was a hard clay in certain areas of my life and God has say, let me crush you and put some water in and make you soft again so I can mold you all over to what I want you to be. So um, that, that is the story that really appeals to me and um, uh, it just teaches me to really, really place my faith in Christ and not be swayed or scared by my current condition, knowing that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what I could ever imagine or think. Amen. And, and of course, I, w- I would like to ref- uh, 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 I refer to scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 9, that says that in our weakness, his strength is really made known to us. So, yeah, uh, that, that was a blessing to me. Thank you.
1: Beautiful. Thank you, Terrence. That's awesome, brother. Now, I was thinking about in these different stories of these judges, the pitfalls are pretty universal because we have Gideon who starts out really strong and then he ends up getting enticed. Remember, he asked for all the gold earrings. Mm -hmm. So money, right? We get lured by money. You got Samson getting lured by sex and lust. Uh, You have the story of Abimelech who's the He's the half uh, brother of Gideon's children. And he kills them all for position and title and power. And he's he's looking for his, he thinks his worth and his identity is gonna be in being the king and being the kind of being the one that's gonna rule and lead. And he murders in order to accomplish that. So you have these character flaws that are universal. These are the big ones, money, sex, and power. Those are the three big trip ups Uh, And here they are in in the ancient world. There's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) So these things can rise up and get us. And to your point, Terrence, we're all weak, but praise God, he's with us and he's strong in our weakness. So amen. We haven't talked about Deborah yet. I love the story of Deborah. Would love to hear any revelation out there on Deborah and Barak and uh, Jael, who hammers Sisera's head with a tent peg. I mean, pretty cool story. Uh, Any thoughts out there?
0: yeah i I've got a thought on that one that one verse that you're talking about where um she hammers the tent peg you know the verse says um that he, he was she saw him out um and he was a friend apparently of the family and um so she invites him to come into the tent so basically she the scripture says, Come into my tent sir, come in don't be afraid so he went into her tent and she covered him with the blanket so it's like you know, she gave him a glass of milk and covered him up. And so I, anyway, I did a breadcrumb video on this and I my little funny comment is if your friend's wife ever says this to you, run. <laughs> because then, you know, um, Sisera tells jail. you know, he had told her not, not to tell anyone that he was in the tent. So she's basically tells him no problem. And after he drifts off to sleep, you know, she, it says she crept in, was quiet, and took a hammer and a tent peg in her hand and drives it through his temple into the ground until he died. And so, but, you know, we know Deborah had prophesied to um, Barak that it would be a woman that would defeat him, that it would not be um, Barak. And so that prophecy came through came true in that way. So it was, again, we see God was involved in that, you know, it's it's really incredible stuff. And Again, we're talking about some things that are challenging too, like all of this gore—the gory details. It's not your normal Sunday school, but you know, Bible talk.
2: <laughs> you know, even when you uh, look at that story, because you can look at Barack, and I did for years, and was like, "Oh my goodness!" oh you know, no offense, but he's really weak. Okay, you, Deborah, you need her to go with you. Come on now, you're the commander of the army. Move out. But in revelation and understanding is because she was the judge and it was customary for the judge to go out with the army. In essence, it wasn't because he was weak and afraid. It was because he understood the protocol. And for her not to go would have been breaking the protocol. And in essence, what he was doing was empowering her because he was honoring the position that she held. The judges went out with the army and its commander Into the location of battle. So you can even see God in this again, empowering because the Lord made her a judge over all of Israel. She didn't have the women's fellowship in the women's Bible study. Amen. She had the entire army, uh, the entire Israel that she was setting as a judge for. And he was the commander of the army, leading the army.
4: Out. Excuse me, can you tell me how you know that? It's not clear in judges when you read read about Deborah and Barack.
2: Correct. So you have to read and understand what the judges did. Go beyond Deborah because she wasn't the only judge. And when you look at the other judges and when there was battle, what was their position? Where were they when the battle and the conflicts was going on?
0: Yeah, it basically sets up that judges were essentially military commanders. They, You know, we think of judges as sitting on a bench, and that's what they do. And in this part of Israel's history, you know, these were the rulers of the land, but they were over the, the militaries as well. Krista,
2: as you've said, we look at it from the legal aspect. But if you go and understand that Moses also operated as both a judge over Israel. That's why they brought the cases and the things to him. And so when they went out to battle, Moses did not stay in the tabernacle. Moses was out there close and in that proximity. So we have to understand that it is more in depth than what we know today as the judges who sit on the bench in the Supreme Court, the ones that sit in, you know, um in the legal offices in doing whatever we whatever they do at whatever level. It was more intel. They were over the army and they served with, and in essence, with that army when the army went out.
4: I like that. It's it's fascinating. It's a good way to um just to rethink the story, you read the part where she's appointed as a judge and, you know, when Moses was um, leading the Israelites, when Joshua went into the battle and Moses stood on the on the, you know, on the mountain and and he oversaw it, but he didn't have to go out and fight um, physically. So that's why I was kind of
2: thinking Moses was not on the battlefield, but he was close enough to be seen. That's why it tells us that when his arms were able to be extended, Joshua, who was at that time serving as a commander over the army, the army would advance. When Moses' hands went down, then they would lose. That's why Aaron and Hur put him on a rock to sit, and they held his arms up. So he was in a high place that they were able to see that he was
0: there in close proximity. No, that's great. So can I, I'll give you a scripture for this though, as well. It's um, actually Judges chapter two, verse 16, and it says, then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers.
2: We always tell everyone, we don't know everything. We don't, but what we do know, we want to share. And we also want to hear what God is imparting to you. Again, God did not tell anyone everything. So please, we're at the table as a family, sitting around discussing, fellowshipping over the word, amen. We're passing the bread from one person to the next person, and we want you to partake in the taking of that bread and to pass it on. Because together, collectively, that's how we learn, that's how we grow, and we get an understanding, amen. Example would be, God didn't tell me everything Krista knows, hadn't told me everything that Jed knows, hadn't told me everything all of you know. But together, every time I come, I learn something new, something different, and it challenges. I want to come and say, "Wow!" I saw it that way. God, thank you for broadening my perspective. Help me to see it through your eyes, because in us is Him, in each of us just waiting to reveal a little bit more about who he is and what he meant when he wrote what he wrote.
0: Amen. I I wanted to just clarify something about the scripture I just mentioned as well. I just want to make sure there is some understanding because the verse that, you know, it's not saying the Lord raised judges to be military commanders as what we're speaking about, but the reality is it says the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. So it it's an implication is what it is. It's an implication in the word. How do judges rescue people from their attackers? Do you know what I mean? If you're going to rescue them from attackers, the, that's before the attack actually happens. And the judge would actually deliberate a case where the attack took place. Well, it hasn't taken place because the scripture is saying that the judges are to rescue them from their attackers. So there's the implication is what it is. It's not giving us, you know, the way we want are are looking to hear it, I guess. We just perceive some of this through the stories that we're reading about the history of, of the judges and what they did. So we certainly don't ever want to read more into scripture than is there. But we learn through, you know, what we glean from the examples that are given to us, as well as the literal word.
2: And it really is understanding that it is line upon line and precept upon precept. And God does everything according to patterns and principles. And that's what we
3: look for. Terrence, I see you. Yes, um, what, when, I, when I read the book of Judges, this is what I gleaned from. it: God's people um, rebelling against God, God giving them up to their enemies, and then when the people of God crying out to God, like Pastor Jet earlier said, when people of God crying out to God, God raises up judgment, judges who will pass judgment on the oppressors of God's people. And when I think of someone, when I think of God passing judgment, he's laying the punishment on the people who've done what God considers to be wrong, even though God allowed it. And I see that as a pattern too in scripture. When when when, when when God says he gave them up to their enemies, in, in, especially in the book of um, the kings, right? When the kings did wrong, God gave them up to their enemies who were other nations, who all, always had something against God's people. But when God's people rebelled against God, God withdrew his protection and gave them up to uh, uh, their enemies. And then when they cry out to God, then God will pass judgment against the enemies of God's people. So when I read the book of Judges, I just, I just look at all of those figures as the instrument of God using to pass judgment to the people who did God's people harm, even though God withdrew his protection for them to do harm to God's people for their unrighteousness. So that's what I get from it. Those figures are just agents that God is using to pass judgment. And if you think about it, it's actually an action. You're going to jail, capital punishment, murder, or whatever the case may be. You're being judged for your action. So that's that's how I looked at it. And if I may be wrong, please, our, our facilitators may correct me. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's what I pretty much got from the story of judges, the pattern that I saw uh, in, in that book. Amen. That's about it.
1: I'll throw out a little bunny trail if you want to hit it because he's one of my favorite characters and we're, we're just finished his story in the end of Joshua and heading into the judges. And that's Caleb can't be dogmatic about this, but I want to throw out a, a little thought about Caleb. His name means wholehearted. He and Joshua were the two spies that had the good report. Um, but Caleb is thought by some scholars to have been a Gentile, not a Jew, because he says repeatedly, he's the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite. And so it is interesting to think about a, a picture in the story here of what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, the one new man, Jew and Gentile, joint heirs together, inheriting the promises available to us in Christ. And here in the taking of the land, you have Joshua, the, the, the Israelite, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenazite, together inheriting the promises in the promised land. So something to think about as we wrap those stories up. But I know we've got a hand up. so tina and ryan go ahead
5: just back to deborah real quick just to hop on that being a prophet is with that anointing on her um and the relationship that her and barack had um something that he revered i think possibly he might have thought that her presence and the holy spirit covering on her would be something that would be um good to have up there with the battle that if she would be with him, that he would have more of a possibility of winning because the presence of the Lord would be with them.
1: I think yeah. you're right, though, you know, to have the the idea of the, the person that God has called to be the anointed uh, leader, to have them present at, at, at a battle is protocol, you know, and, and obviously Sylvia talked about that with Moses before. And I think Deborah's another good example in where Barak was like, we're not going to go forward without you. That echoed Mo- what Moses said to the Lord, we're not going to go forward without you um i think there's still this this humility in barack mm-hmm. saying we need you um you know and, and it was a, i think it was a, a message of honor in there as well of just we we need those that god has called for this battle to be to be present so appreciate yeah. you there, tina
2: because that is i mean if you look at the pattern of it if you look at the pattern of it that is the one that the anointing was on was the one that God had chosen to be the judge. We see that with Gideon, We see that with Samson. We see that that's where the anointing was. It's different than how it is now. How it is now, once we receive Christ Jesus, we are all sealed with the seal of adoption. So now we all have the Holy Spirit. Now we may have different levels in which we operate, but every one of us is filled with the Holy Spirit. During this time, the Holy Spirit came on an individual to perform. Or to do what was God was ordaining to be done. And he departed. He didn't stay. So that anointing was with that person. And that's why they wanted to ensure if we're going out, we need you to be in close proximity. You You cannot stay behind and pray us through. Whereas now we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's different. It's different. That's what Judges is defining. The Holy Spirit would come upon that individual. That person, yes. yes.
5: I, I believe when I studied this before that he had told, um, I'll look up the scripture and try to pop on or type it to the side, but I believe it said, he had told her that I, if you don't go, I won't go. Like, you have to go, and then I will go with you. You know, because he was believing that the, the battle could not be won unless she was current, present with them that it was dependent on her presence there right which
4: actually which actually makes this even more special because that means um that was an instance where god allowed a woman to be someone who was in a place of equality with leadership so right actually very um makes it even it i don't see barack as any less i i never really did but it does kind of put her in a different light of the position she held. So thanks. This is all good.
2: I think that's the beauty in fellowshipping around the word, you know, because again, we can share, we can get insight, we can talk it through because there are some things that you read and you go, you know, my expression, not anyone else, what the world, what the world. (laughs) And then being able to come and then to share it and get that insight, because I may get stuck on something and then someone else can share it. And I say, oh, okay, now I can see ABCD, because isn't that what they did? You know, when I look at the book of Acts and it says that they gave themselves to the study and the reading of the word in prayer and fasting they were fellowshipping i believe they had discussions in reference to the word so that they could understand because again we do only see in part and sometimes the part i see is different from the very part that you are seeing and together we can see even more of the part of the part that we are able to see
1: amen well I mean, I had a what the world moment because I read yesterday's, I read tomorrow's reading today and (laughs) I didn't know this, but it was, it's Moses's grandson is the priest that gets installed with the tribe of Dan (sighs) uh, as their personal priest. And so you think if someone from the tribe of Levi, someone from Moses, Moses's direct lineage, who should know better as a priest, you don't, you know, he's all, he's out of bounds, as a priest in in a number of ways, but I'm like, man, this is Moses' grandson. And the Bible leaves that little detail in there. Just kind of interesting. Again, comes back to the main point of the book of judges. They had no King and everyone was doing what was right in their own, in their own eyes, according to their own understanding. As we finish this book next week, it's going to be really interesting to touch on some of these, some of these stories for sure.
2: You know, Jed, I think that that is the most important thing that we need to focus on other than the Lord, of course, but realizing this, they had no king, so therefore everyone did what was right in their own eyes. If we don't have King Jesus, then we're going to do that same thing. And we will find ourselves going back to doing what what we think is right in our own eyes. And if we bring it to today, isn't that what we're seeing? Isn't that? Because they don't have King Jesus. That people are making what is evil good and declaring good evil. The only thing that balances us is that when we have and know the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and we do what is right according to our king who rules, leads, guides, and directs us into truth. Man, I believe it is in Jeremiah, the Bible says, and I know we haven't got there, it says, but man must be led. So if we're not led by the King, King Jesus, we're going to be led by something. And that something is the worker of evil. And it is unfortunate That's what's going on. It started in Judges. That's the first thing that it says, that they did not have a king. So they did what was right in their own eyes. And in the last chapter, it says the same thing. They did not have a king. So they did what everyone did, what was right in their own eyes. It's like bookends. God is saying, get this, get this. See, I'm putting it here for you to see. And I'm closing this book, though we haven't gotten there yet, with that same statement.
1: Reminds me of the scripture, my people perish for a lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. And, and a good king is going gonna, is gonna to give us wisdom and understanding like Solomon. You know, Jesus is the greater Solomon. Solomon had a lot of wisdom and understanding Jesus far more. And so as we entrust our lives and our days into his hands to listen to his wisdom and to you know, like Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's I'm humble and gentle. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think we're made, as you said, we're made to be led. We're made to be in a yoke. We're either going to be yoked to our own sin. We're going to be yoked to an empty philosophy of this world. Or we can be yoked to King Jesus, um, who will lead us to the abundant life. Amen. So good, Sylvia. Um, anyone else tonight have anything burning on your heart to share with the community?
6: Well, I was just going to say that, uh, like Terrence said, that story with Gideon, well, many stories in the Bible, but that one always spoke to me as well. And I pictured if I was to see the Lord, I would have said the same thing. Oh no, now I'm going to die because I saw you. And And I love how gentle he was and said, it is all right. The Lord replied, do not be afraid. You will not die. He cared enough to, you know, um, make him feel comfort. And then I also love that Gideon was like, I just, cause I know I've done this. And I, I've, I've, I've said to the Lord, I, I, I love you. I know you're sovereign. I just, I, can I just ask, are you sure about are you, are you sure about this? And, and then, you know, and I, I just asked, can you confirm this for me? And, and it's amazing how he does want us to talk to him about everything, everything and work it out with him. So I love that he was so kind to Gideon knowing how weak he was mm-hmm. and, and, and gave him what he asked for, you know, um, and that took a lot of boldness in Gideon, but, but probably he, he was, you know, did, didn't know any better at some point. But anyway, I just I love that story because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And and I went through a three year uh, uh terrible sorrow and pain. And I see now what he taught me is that his strength is made perfect in, in my weakness. And he shows me that every day because I can't do anything without him. And it truly is in, abiding in him. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to share that.
1: It's so good. Thank you for sharing that, Chantel. And I love that story too for the same reason. You know, but I, I think about it, you know, where we we see ourselves a certain way. God doesn't see us that way. You know, Gideon saw himself as, I'm the least in my family, and my family's the least in the clan, and my clan is the least in the tribe, my tribe is the least in the nation. And the Lord said, no, hail, mighty man of valor. And he sees us from his perspective always. He knew who Gideon was, and Gideon didn't know who Gideon was. We don't know who we are. And I love what you said, Chantel, about God's compassion. You know, he's like a father, and we're his children. And he lets us work through what we got to work through to get to um, what we need to move forward. And so in Gideon's case, okay, I'm going to do the the I'm going to lay the fleece. Now I'm going to reverse it. I need confirmations. I, 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 you're speaking to me, um, but I, I'm not sure I'm the guy. But I believe. Okay. And he's he's moving him forward gently into a place of security. He even gives the dream to the enemies, and that was what clinched it for Gideon. Was you know the lord said okay Gideon if you still are a little bit unsure go listen in i'm going to I gave these guys a dream go ahead and listen in on it and and that's what kind of plucked him up and he said okay now we got this but you know to have 30,000 32,000 troops and then god whittles that down to 300 that's the 1% you know god needs less than 1% of what we have to to move in a miracle uh, and i love that that story in gideon like God, what a what an amazing! Our five loaves and two fish, and look what God can do. And, well, and I just uh, want
0: to say, you know, if you put yourself in Gideon's shoes, he was basically, you know, he was being asked to fight and defeat the entire Midian army with those yeah. three hundred men. So, <laughs> yeah, I think any of us would have been like, like Chantel said, God, are, are you sure? Can you turn? Can I turn it up? Can we do it one more time? <laughs> just want to be a hundred percent sure you know, because who wouldn't, you know, just want to be sure that's the voice he's hearing.
1: And this is one of the first times really in the the scriptures where God uses chaos and confusion to defeat the enemy in the enemy's own camp. Um, I don't think, I don't know if it's the first time, but it's one of, it's an early time when that principle, we're going to see it over and over again as Israel is delivered, the enemy defeats itself. And, and of course, that's what happens with, uh, with Gideon, they get confused. They start fighting amongst themselves, and Gideon routs them from that point on. So, interesting principle: as God moves in, he he brings confusion and chaos to the camp of the enemy.
7: Uh, it's Mary. I was just going to say, um, reading all of this, I had all kinds of emotions, but mostly just seeing the compassion of God for His people and knowing that he has that same compassion for us as well we all mess up and just you know he knows our heart and when we truly with our heart, speak you know our words need to match up with our heart and god knows that so i just really i enjoyed it so much because god showed us i saw him in so many ways through every story And knowing that he always know how things are going to end, what's best for everyone, and that he was always going to be there for the Israelites. And he always makes sure that he makes things right. It was just, to me, I really enjoyed it. And I love seeing, I think I I had emotions where I wanted to cry. I had emotions when I laughed. I mean, it was things that, you know, just seeing God move in so many stories in so many ways, but always that compassion.
1: It's great, Mary. Thank you for sharing. We didn't really talk about Jephthah tonight, but he's another one that, you know, he's rejected by his family because he's the son of a prostitute. And then he makes a vow. He does deliver, but he makes a vow to the Lord that he's going to sacrifice the first thing that comes walking out of his house, and it's his daughter. Oh, I mean, you mentioned, you know, Mary, there's stories that make you want to cry.
7: Mm-hmm. And
1: that one's, that's just a tough, my goodness. You know, to quote Sylvia, like, what the world, man? Uh, (laughs) That is just a brutal story. Um, And he follows through on his vow. And she tells him to. His own daughter says, go ahead and do it, Dad. I don't know. This is just some tough, tough pills to swallow in the book of Judges.
0: So my question is, with his daughter, I'm still trying to, as I read that particular story, I'm trying to figure out. What did that mean that he had to dedicate, you know, that he vowed his daughter to the Lord? What happened to her? Because I can't seem to find it. Like, what, anything that indicates, like, what does that mean that he, she had to leave the house? Like, what does it mean? Do you know what it means that he vowed to give his daughter to the Lord?
1: He didn't vow to give the daughter. He vowed to give the For first me. thing that greeted him when he got home. If God gives him the victory, he would sacrifice. And it was his daughter. And it ended up being his daughter comes out with the tambourine and is celebrating the victory. And so of course, you know, he made a rash vow. Um, he thought, it, you know, I don't know. Well, what that's what
0: thought. I mean. Like, so what does that mean? You know, oh, that it ended up, the con- that it was her. What does it mean? That's my, that's my question that, you know, what was he vowing? What would happen to her? Do you, do you have any insight?
1: The, well i mean he was going to sacrifice so what it meant was that, that she had to die in order for him to fulfill the vow he took to the lord
0: that's what i was trying to understand did that mean he would have to kill his daughters did it yeah. is that what it meant that's why she asked for the period
2: of time to go and mourn her virginity yes yeah, she had to die
0: well so that's where i was confused because i was wondering does this just mean that she can never marry? That's why I was trying to understand like, what is it, what is happening to her? Because she went with her friends for two months to go mourn um, because she would never marry and that she was a virgin. So I'm just, you know, not, I, w- I wasn't fully understanding where it's indicating what is going to happen to her
1: as yeah, a result of her. that vow. Yeah, he, Does it he, say he, it? Yeah, it's, it's implied.
7: Yeah, did you, could you read that? Because it definitely was implied.
1: Yeah, I can find it. Um.
2: Yeah, it doesn't say uh, Krista, but it is implied because he vowed to sacrifice. And, you know, in this time, looking at the patterns and the principles and how they sacrificed, the sacrifice was not just go down the street or to the neighbors, two houses down or two, communities down. It was a sacrifice, like on the offering, making a sacrifice unto the Lord. It was a vow that God never asked him to. It was as if he was looking for an additional insurance policy instead of having confidence and trust that God would do what God said he would do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is definitely one that's much harder than I realized to read, you know, that that's what took place. But I understand why God would allow that to happen because we've already read about how serious our vows are to the Lord.
1: Correct. He says specifically the vow he takes, uh, he says, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord, whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph, I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. He returned home. His daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine, dancing for joy. She was his only child. He had no other children. He saw her. He tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, wow. My wow. I,
0: I didn't get that.
1: Yeah, you've completely destroyed me. You brought disaster, for I've made a vow to the Lord. I cannot take it back. She says, Father, you've made the vow to the Lord. You must do to me what you have vowed. For the wow. Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But I want to go up to the, let me go up for the two months because I'll die a virgin. So she, she knows she's not going to marry. So she's going to mourn. He blesses her to go. And then it says, when she returned home, her father kept the vow he made and she died a virgin.
0: Well, thank you for that because I was, I was truly unclear as I was reading it. I just wasn't getting the whole picture because that's, that's tremendous.
1: It's, it's a dose.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: but I think the key thing is that it was a vow that God never asked him for. Therefore, we must be extremely cautious and don't make unnecessary vows because he has already shown us in prior scriptures that we read how serious they are and uh, there are consequences. And perhaps that's why in the New Testament, it tells us don't even do that. Let your yes be yes, you know, uh, because God does take those things seriously and he expects you to fulfill them but he never asked him for that that was maybe based on himself and his own insecurity in whether god was going to really give him the victory or not and so he went the extra mile in the extra measure but what i asked myself was what did he have a wife was he thinking that maybe the wife was coming out?" Was it a yeah. serpent? I mean, what was it—a cat, a dog? I mean, when he said that, what was he thinking?
1: Yeah, I think what, what you said. Well, when you think about it, uh, it doesn't say it explicitly in the scripture, but we can ponder a little bit along the lines of what you're saying, Sylvia. Where, if you remember his story, he's rejected yeah. by his whole family; they throw him out. Yes. And so he grows. He grows up as a stranger and an outsider, an outcast. And it says that he gathers like some. He's a leader. Some rough so some unscrupulous, rebellious yeah. guys kind of gather around him. And then his family comes to him when they're in trouble and says, hey, we need you to kind of lead. We need your muscle. And so you just wonder if that insecurity of like, he's been rejected his whole life. Maybe it's hard for him to believe that God would give a guy like him the victory. And so he has to, to your point, Sylvia, he has to kind of double down and offer something, you know, to kind of, you know, get God to do what he wanted God to do. I've got to kind of, you know, kind of barter with God. If I give you this, you give me that. Um, I don't know. But I
2: think sometimes that's how we pray. Amen. And that is not what God wants us to do. We don't have to barter. He has already said what he will do. We must have confidence and trust that he will do it. And our situation and circumstance can cause us to see, you know, because maybe he had to feel like he wasn't worthy, you know, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, my own family doesn't want me, I've been rejected, I've been hurt, all of that stuff. And it overtook his wisdom and his confidence in God, and he makes a unnecessary vow that ultimately cost him his very own daughter's life.
1: Yeah. His his only his only child. And, you know, when Jesus taught us, when you pray, pray to your father. And when you, he's going to, when you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. You ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. And so believe that you're going to receive whatever you ask from the father. But Jephthah was rejected by his earthly father. That paradigm was broken for him, for sure. So maybe that influenced, out of that brokenness, his, he projected that onto God in some capacity. Um, but
0: I know we're yeah. at the top of the hour here and we have to go. But I also just want to mention that this daughter, what an amazing young woman, mm. you know, and the faith that she was expressing by allowing, her, like submitting herself to that. She didn't fight it at all. She just said, you made a vow to the Lord. So do to me what you're, what you have to do to me. That's incredible. Who who could do that?
6: Yeah. And she reminds me of, of Isaac, how Isaac was, Mm -hmm. but I, I just think that's the Lord's mercy, you know, put that in her, um, maybe that's just my opinion. That's not scriptural, but I just think the Lord's amazing with his compassion and mercy too.
2: I agree with you because that would take definitely that to know, okay. But she didn't, you know, dad, what have you done? Why would you do that? She yeah. said, you made the vow, you keep it. Can I just have some time now to go with a few friends and say some see you later, all that good stuff and then come back and Bible's clear. He did as he had vowed
0: mm-hmm.
2: and she didn't fight.
0: Well, that's a hard one for us to end on tonight. But uh, we, here we are at, at the time.
1: Yeah. Well, let's pray. Um, appreciate everybody. Say a word of prayer and close off, and we'll come back together uh, on Monday next week. So, Heavenly Father, we bless you, and we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word, and that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And as we consider these stories, just ask for wisdom and revelation in our hearts that we could become more like Jesus um, in our own lives uh, that we would have your wisdom, your character, that the Holy Spirit, Lord, would uh, bear fruit in our lives to bring glory to your name. And so I just pray for my brothers and sisters that you would bless them and keep them, let your face shine upon them, be gracious unto them and grant them your peace and grant us all your peace as we go about our week. We thank you for this time and for your word in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, everyone, shalom, and uh, we'll see you on breadcrumbs through the week at touroftruth.com, and we will look forward to seeing you all next Monday night. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and give you his shalom peace. Amen.
7: Amen. Amen.
5: Shalom.